You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a wonderful episode of We Live in Color. Now, before we begin, oh, my name is Deontay. Now, before we begin, remember to like, share, and subscribe to Converge Media. We got some jam-packed shows for um, throughout the week, and you need to tune in. But thank you coming on for Wednesday night. Now, my guest, my second guest of the year, I'm so happy because they were going to be my first guest of the year. But, you know, we had to kind of navigate through that. Poet community activists, and 48 other jobs in between there, right, <laughs> is here with me today. And I'm just so happy to have this brother on. Um, you are a pillar to community. You're one of those. I always big up our compasses and community. You're a compass and community. Ebo wow. Barton. Wow. Thank you. How are you? That was so wonderful. I've never been introduced such a way. Thank well, you. I'm good. Because it's, it's deserved. <laughs> oh, you thank you. wear so many hats in community. Um, I mean... <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but I yeah. have to ask you how you do it towards the end. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to it. We, we'll get to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you're from Seattle or are you? No, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. You're from LA. Yeah. So um, that's why you were crip walking earlier, right? <laughs> okay. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. Got to get my practice in, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, I'm from Los Angeles. I'm in Seattle because I was in the United States Navy for two and a half years. You were in the Navy. Yeah. Okay, so before <laughs> Navy, right? Tell us about little Ebo in yeah. LA. Yeah, little Ebo, who I call Weebo. Okay, um, Weebo. Weebo in LA was a, a very uh, confused young person, um, but found, and I think that I found art at the right time and right place. Um, and so poetry was something that I used to get my, my voice out, right? Like as a, especially I think that we uh, often oppress young people by not letting them speak. And so this was my way to speak out loud. And even though this notebook was like in my mattress, you know, between my mattress or whatever, like that was my opportunity to say something. And it, it always became this valuable resource that I had. So poetry. So how old were you when you first started doing poems? So the first poem I wrote, I can't say that I was like in practice, but like the first poem I wrote, I was six years old and I took a, um, a street that I remembered how to spell and like made it into a person. That's what I remember about it. You remember it? it? Any piece <laughs> <No>. of it? <laughs> I know the street was called Sherman Way and I decided that Sherman was a person and Way was a person. That's what I remember. Sherman Way, Sherman Heyday. Way. <laughs> Gay day. A, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds classic. Yeah. You know? No, so, yeah. It sounds like a So, like, you, did you have a big family in L.A.? I mean. Um, I would say a pretty, uh, like, moderate amount of folks. Um, but in the, you know, in the way that brown people do, you know, like, my uncle's next door. And, you know, like, my, my grandmother lives with us. And, you know, like, it was that kind of energy of there was family around all the time, even though there weren't many of us around. Were any of them into poetry or writing like yourself? No, uh, like, um, <laughs> you just laughed at me. <laughs> I think like I'm the uh, you know annoying artist uh, family member that's like you want you want to hear some? Let me show you some. Let me you know that that energy. Um, and so, but I was told that my grandfather was a poet and that he used to force uh, our family members to sit and listen to his poetry in the kitchen. So maybe that's the energy I'm giving. Hey, ancestor. Right. <laughs> and here you are. Right. right? Yeah. So okay. So you. Went throughout, throughout high school, you ended up choosing the Navy. What um, was that? Can we talk about yeah. high school? What was that? Was it giving good? Or it good was. Bad? I don't think it was giving good. I still had some um, 
some obstacles of learning who I was, um, constantly living in the shadows of, of siblings or, you know, cousins or whatever. Um, and so I feel like the name, I think that I was uh, sort of this uh, victim of institutionalization, right? I went to um, vocational school and vocational school didn't work out for me. And so I was trying to find all these avenues. I did retail for a little bit. And then, um, and then I was like, well, this is my option. Right. Like this is what they you know, the information that's given to us is, oh, well, the military will give you some discipline. The military will do all these things for you. Um, so I went into the military. Did you feel for excuse me? Did you feel forced to go in or was it like this is what I had left? I think that I, I felt forced because of my circumstances. Right. And I feel like uh, a lot of folks in the military go because of circumstances. Like, I don't know. I know that there's this uh, myth that, you know, I go to serve my country. Right. And I don't know that I met anyone that was recruited and stayed in the military because they wanted to serve their country. Um, there's a promise of a paycheck and there's a promise of education in that institution. And I think that that is what people are signing up for, not recognizing all the harm and violence that it causes, you know, that it causes someone's life. Yeah. And, and unpacking that, right? It's yeah. just, you went in, what year was this, if you don't mind? Ooh, uh, 2006, around. Okay. Yeah. So at this time, I mean, Don't Act, Don't Tell was probably like 10, oh, years, absolutely. 10 years before that, I want to say. Yeah, it was definitely in act when I was in the military, um, which is interesting because culturally, as I think as queer folks, like, you're not going to tell us nothing, right? Were, um, were you out at that time? I or? was I was, a, uh, I was out as a lesbian at that time. And so um, it was just really interesting to learn about the different ways the rules worked, right? Um, and they didn't apply to just everybody. What were some of those? Um, like the way you had sex. And I, my, my question was always, well, how do you know I'm having that type of sex? Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, and so it was, it was different things like that that also alerted me that the rest of the world didn't want to see me. Right. Like that. They didn't want to hear from me. They didn't want um, to be uh, poisoned by my way of life. Yeah. yeah. No, that's something. Yeah. So going in and how long were you in? I was in for two and a half years um, and I was separated uh, because of violence that I experienced in the Navy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, 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 and that was well to get out of that space. How. What was that transition like, if you don't mind? Yeah, the, the transition out of the Navy was, I think, was really rough for me because you have all of these resources and this uh, community, uh, quote unquote, community around you. And then once you're separated, it's just sort of like, okay, well, you didn't want to be part of this, so goodbye, yeah. right? So it was just this sort of like closing the door and you're not allowed in our kingdom anymore, right? Um, and so there was a lot of learning. I had to do a lot of growing. Um, I was also like 23, not really knowing what, was what at that time. Um, so being in a new place, I think activated this sense of survival uh, for me that was like, let me find community, let me find my people. Uh, let me on. hurry up and find my right. people. <laughs> exactly, and hold on real tight uh, because there there is nothing else left for me here, right? Yeah. Well, we did find out that there's more here for you, absolutely, right? Absolutely. And we're gonna unpack that. We're gonna take our first break okay. and we'll be back with Ebo Barton. You are watching We Live in Color. Prosperity in Black America. What will this require? Is black business prospering? Are we reaching women and minority-owned businesses? How do we achieve earning parity for wealth for our families? Do our children really have access to education? Will our families have choices for our children? Prison pipelines, 
mass incarceration, tearing our families apart, a healthcare system not accessible to the masses, the disproportionate termination of black women from corporate America. When will we actually begin to address what's really at play? How do black people gain more power to help make these changes? This requires a lot of political will and courage. I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Welcome to Heartbeat. COVID-19 hurt my income, my health, and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in, talked to our lender, and saved our home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHalf.org. That's WashingtonHAF.org. Hey. He is over here dancing. <laughs> Welcome back to We Live in Color. I'm here with Evo Barton. Hi. We were just talking about transitioning, right? Out of... <laughs> out of the Navy, mm -hmm. out of serving our country. And mm -hmm. thank you for the two years oh, that absolutely. you did give it to us, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and what was, after getting out of that space, what was next? Because you were in Fort Lewis? No, I was in Everett. At, oh, you were in, oh, sorry. I love Everett. I love Everett, everybody. <laughs> I love Everett. Hey, Snohomish County. Um, no, but uh, I was ported in Everett. I was on an aircraft carrier. Um, and so once I transitioned out, I think I was on that search for not only community, but to find that art form that gave me so much life, right? Um, and so I found uh, what was called Seattle Poetry Slam at the time, and it's a weekly poetry competition. And that's where I found community. And I, I can't tell, I can't say it enough that like specifically black Seattle artist community is everything, I, everything I have and everything I am is because of Seattle, black Seattle artists, right? Because uh, those are the folks that invited me in, taught me, you know, told me how to like, told me how to act. Okay. Like, cause I was, <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? Tell, tell, um, let's unpack that. We're going to yeah. be doing a lot of unpacking. Right. How to act? How were you acting? No. <laughs> so I think that it was more of a, uh, of a lesson in, you know, basic social justice, um, how to, uh, cause I, you know, I was a very, I feel like I was very, um, confident, overly confident. Um, and I feel like artist community definitely, uh, finds ways of humbling you very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to, shout out to poetry slam. Right. Exactly. So throughout those moments, did you start to see were you starting to like blossom? Did you see that happening? Cause oh, I mean, absolutely. your poetry is amazing by the book. We'll get to that later. Um, but your poetry is amazing. Thank you. How, what was that experience like when you first started getting back on the stage oh after gosh. all of that stuff? Um, pretty, pretty mind blowing in my opinion, uh, because I think that I had such great examples of what poetry could be. Right. They set these 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 uh, these roads and paths that I could follow, not only follow, but maybe even change. Right. Because with my own flavor to it, um, I had great teachers that always, and, you know, what are you doing next? What's your new poem? Um, and also community members that were doing that. And I think that that is probably key to any successful artist community is always constantly asking, what are you doing next? What are you creating? Let's get excited about it. Um, so just having that support uh, made me want to not only uh, do better in my own art, but create these uh, outlets and avenues for, uh, for speaking your truth on stages. Um, so that's when I got into show production and doing regular weekly shows. 
See, and what is your most memorable show production? Oh, I think my most memorable because of how much work it was um, is uh, it was called Rising Up and it was a play production um, that centered a black trans woman living in Seattle in a queer co-op house of BIPOC folks. Um, and I had a co-writer and we sort of wrote the framework, but it was really when we uh, casted the the actors in it that we were able to uh, change it, making come to life. So the actors were a very large part of how the actual story played out. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah. shout out to all of them. Anybody you want to shout out? Um, Scarlett. Okay. Uh, yeah. Scarlett, who's in Olympia now, like incredible actress and poet and performer um, and just brought so much life to the main character. Okay, shout out Scarlett. <laughs> so you, when you were doing, when you were out here on the Seattle scene, were you still living in Everett, or did oh, you move? Um, when did yeah. you, you come? When did you come to the town? Um, I think that in, so I stayed in Everett for like another year after I was separated, um, and then came into Seattle and I was living right in the middle of Capitol Hill when people could afford that. Um, and so, <laughs> um, yeah, so I came in to uh, you know very grunge Seattle. You know when there was a Taco Bell still on Broadway. Uh, before, shout out to the Taco Bell. Right. Right? Um, it used to be a KFC, I believe. Oh, was it? I didn't even know that part. See, so I wasn't there that long. Um, <laughs> I wasn't here that long. But yeah, so um, right, like right in the neighborhood. So make, being able to make those connections and being in community and going to events because it was all local was like the most exciting part, right? Um, of being that beginner artist. Yeah. yeah. Okay, see, and throughout the, the spaces, like we used to have a really I see, I say a heavier poetry oh, absolutely. space. Yeah. Um, and I just see it now blossoming um, and because of people like yourself. Um, I definitely remember coming back home and everyone just like, hey, <laughs> he got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like even now, right, where we're at, um, you were, were you out to your family or did you go through your the pro process of, of, of your path here or was it did you do it back at yeah home? so um my family i came out you know i first came out as a lesbian because i was identifying as a woman at the time um and and they all knew that my sister is also as was a lesbian is is a lesbian <laughs> um and so there was that understanding uh of what queer might be in our household because oh. of my sister's example i love the queer might be yes <laughs> um and then uh at mer very many years later um, because there was just, you know, you and I talked about this earlier because there were so many life barriers for myself that gender wasn't even on the menu at that time. Right. Like I didn't even, I couldn't even get into all of that. But again, with artist community, being able to be exposed to what gender could be and all the possibilities of gender and the different galaxies of gender, I was able to discover myself and then transition. Um, and, and I feel like I'm still in transition often. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and, and, and throughout that space, because you also, you're Black and Filipino, right? Yeah. Was it harder, like, in, in community? Because I've I've heard things, yeah. uh, especially with some of my community members that have been, our community members that have been impacted from Filipino you know, yeah. community. Yeah. What was that like for you, if you don't mind me? Asking? Yeah, I think growing up in, in uh, predominantly Filipino and Catholic households, um, there's just a... Uh, there's just a, uh, how do I say this? It's influenced from white supremacy, right? Of anti-blackness, right? And so me and my sister being the black kids of our family had to learn the ways to navigate that, um, which battles to, to fight and which battles to not fight. And I think that that's very often that, um, 
that makes young folks and it makes people in general have to navigate the anti-blackness one and what is what are we willing to accept and what are we willing not what are we not willing to accept um and i think that that was a constant struggle uh as a young person of uh, figuring out who i am and getting to that getting to that guy right, <laughs> like, right. Um, but also having to see what these barriers are and what's being told to me and how i'm being informed of this yeah. so there's this like learning process and then the unlearning process and then the unfolding and unpacking that you have to do before getting anywhere right for your whole life right for my whole life <laughs> And, and we talked a lot about um, that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we started, as you started living here and walking in your whole truth, okay, mm -hmm. um, what was it like to start getting into some of the community activism work? Because I feel like as a poet, right? Yeah. You're already, it, you start to get those merit badges. Yeah. And you don't even know that you have them, yeah, right? You know, like, wait a minute, that's a call to action for us. Yeah. How did, how did that start for you? Um, so I think that, one of the i think that it was uh it was a good thing for me to be honest like it was a positive is that i kind of came out in community and grew up in community and so i transitioned pretty publicly and there are definitely downsides to that where you can't mess up um you can't mm. not know an answer to a question and you know like in an interview or in a public space um and it's very unforgiving and so but on the other side of it is that i'm so well taken care of by my gender diverse community members because now they see me out there and is like you're doing this and we got to make sure you're good right, right? so being able to create that community and build that protection, but then also um, not having as much leeway in what I'm, you know, in my identity, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I feel like there's so many, inter there's intersections. Let me know how you feel about this. Yeah. Like in our community, if I give an answer or if she gives an answer or if they give an answer, we have tended to kind of scowl yeah. like one another, like that's not the right answer, but it's, right. It's our truth. Yeah. If there are like there's there, there so many textbooks that tell us who, yep, who he and she need to be, right? But not he, she or they, right, right? Right. But we are all walking in our truth, and I guess um, has that ever how how often like since you've known that that's happened to other community members and even yourself, how are you treating our, our younger community? members? Yeah. So I, I think that one of the things that a lot of activists are saying that is totally true is that there is no identity that's a monolith, right? Like we can't say because you said that all, all black men are this way. Yeah. Right. And so, and that's what I try to do often is that I'm one mixed trans person, mixed trans poet. And so my experience is very specific. Yeah. And I've had a lot of opportunity and a lot of privilege that has informed a lot of that. So you can't take my experience and then, you know, just be like, okay, well, you know, John, Joe and, you know, Sterling also have this experience as well, right? I've never heard Sterling, but whoever Sterling is, we are, we are after yeah, you. Yeah, we know okay. that you're not okay. like me, Sterling. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We, um, I definitely have to ask you some questions about the pandemic because yeah. I feel like that was just another metamorphosis of Ooh. all community members. Oh. But we're going to unpack that after this break. You are watching We Live in Color. 
What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Trey Holiday. We're bringing back Black Love When We Met. That's right. We need something to warm all of our hearts and to elevate love once again in our communities. We want y'all to go to whereweconverge.com forward slash Black Love so y'all can nominate your favorite couple for the next rendition of this show with me as the host. Let me sit down and have them on my couch and share how their love can inspire us all. Make sure y'all go and get your nominations in today and be on the lookout for Black Love when we met coming at you on Converge Media very soon. And we're back with We Live in Color. I'm here with poetry activists. Wow. Blacktivists. Do we say it like that? Yeah, I, I oh. wanted to do it. I, oh. I, I felt like I felt like I had hair. That's all. Oh, okay. Ebo <laughs> Barton here. And I just I love the work that you do. Thank you. I know that you have constantly worked tirelessly in this community to educate and protect all of of community members. But I have to ask, what was it like during the pandemic? Oh, um, the pandemic was rough, um, I feel like. Um, but I also think that what it did, one of the beneficial things and something I talked uh, with a lot of my community members about is that it unveiled how incredibly terrible all of the systems are right and so now folks are trying to act on it um i you know there there are certain ways in which that's failing in a lot of ways like the government is continues to fail us um but i also think that it's this opera it brought this opportunity to talk about it why is it failing why are you not reaching certain communities why are you favoring other communities instead of others because it just revealed all of this especially with the you know like and i feel like we talk about this all the time the uprisings that happened uh in that summer uh where it, like we sort of began with that that was like we need certain things that you're not providing and this is what we want versus you're going to tell us what you're going to give us yeah and that is part of the one of the main reasons why we started we live in color because yeah. it was a conversation where we wanted to make sure community had a safe access absolutely um and not felt tokenized did you ever experience that during that space oh all day all the, all the time right and i think that as uh folks are learning more about uh transgender bodies and transgender identities they so badly want that and so like the tokenization comes oh well you're you're black and trans and mixed and you're an artist check mark box like check all the boxes come and come talk here come sit here and not really want my my opinions or not really want my actions or not really want my community members as the other part um you just wanted to check all the boxes so that you can feel that you represented something yeah, yeah. And, and what you do for self-care through that because i mean i don't know about you but i was wore out <laughs> i had very many conversations about yeah. that and it was also a challenge to like look within myself but i want to know how do you navigate through that? Um, I think a lot of self-soothing activities. So, um, you know, I'll watch a sitcom I've seen 10 million times. Give me a sitcom. Okay. Just, for, just give me one sitcom. What sitcom did you watch? I just want to um, know. I will say, you know, it's not the most favorable of, of sitcoms, but it is noise. Okay. It's The Office. And I know, okay, I, I'm aware. I'm aware of my my flaws. Okay. <laughs> but it, it was noise <laughs> to be able to just, you know, like turn your brain off and not, you know, like it's it's just random stuff happening in an office um, to allow me to get out of the new space, to get out of the current events and what's happening now, what you need to do about it space and get off social media as well. Something boring and, you know, that's not going to really invite me into it. 
feel it. Yeah. I mean, it kind of would feel like you're at work if you're kind of watching it during the pandemic because it's like, oh, I can't go outside. But I don't have to. I don't. But I don't have to like respond to them either, right? And I think that's a big part of my self soothing is not having to respond. Yeah. Yeah. And well, but you responded to community. (laughs) <laughs> and there were so many things that you did. Like I, I could go back a couple a year before that. You were you wrote your book. Actually, you wrote, your book was released. My book during- was released during the pandemic. Okay. I've written a little bit before that, obviously. What yeah. was that like? Can, um, what's yeah. the name of the book? Uh, so the book is Insubordinate. Um, it was released in 2020, um, and it's honestly uh, sort of this uh, exploration through poetry of my experience as. Uh, a transgender person of color in in the nonprofit sector and sort of those experiences that happen within the nonprofit sector, how I'm erased or invisibilized or, uh, you know, made into a villain um, and how I navigate that. Yeah. Yeah. Made into a villain. What yeah. can you impact that? Absolutely. I think that often, so I'm, I'm struggling with, uh, you know, I had to live my life, being seen as a woman for so many years, uh, specifically as a black woman. And now I'm, I'm trans, as I transition and appear more male, I'm being seen as a black man out in the world. Um, and that drastically changes how people see you. And while I was made into a villain in, in the way I had to live my life, even now there's a different way in which that's happening. Um, I'm an angry black man or I am, um, I'm just creating this for, you know, some kind of attention or whatever the case may be. So it's really interesting to slip through that wrinkle of privilege and be seen and treated as a black man. Um, and while also experiencing all the like violent and offensive ways in which we view black men. And, and I think that, and you said something too about privilege, right? You know, as a, as a homosexual black male, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have been told, and I think I've also been a pr- privy to this, right? Of the privilege that we have um, mm-hmm. when we're talking about access for care in public safety. Um, there's always a conversation that that sits with with queer queer men, um, and not really sit with the advocacy for trans men. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we do a better job mm. with with making sure that we can we we give we're giving community all the access? Yeah, I think that one of the main ways is educating yourself and then talking about it. Right? Is that when you're in those spaces and you see those things, say something. If it's excluding our bodies, say something. Um, be proactive about it. And if you don't know, learn more. Like I promise you, there are just so many different. Uh, pieces of resources or people that you can talk to. And there's so many organizations that are willing to educate you. But I think that one of the wrong things we do is we want to go to our closest trans friend um, and be like, well, why is it that whatever, there is plenty of information for you to go seek out and and find out from the right people about what you need to know so that you can talk about it in in a more educated way. And I think that that is really important. I think above all else within our intersections, we have to also find humility within each other to really start having acts, giving each other an opportunity to have the access that is is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just noticed that it happens um, a lot with our, uh, our both of our T's in our community. Well, three T's, <laughs> not very many T's. So sure. it's just really important to try to give that access. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And now 
What are some of the things that you're doing now? Yeah, so I'm the director of housing services at Lavender Rights Project. Um, we're working with the county to build a permanent supportive housing facility in uh, in within the Seattle King County area, in the central Seattle King County area. Um, we specialize, as you know, we specialize in serving black gender diverse folks. Um, and we're hoping that we can make this uh, program, the program within the house to be dynamic enough to be able to provide healthcare um, resources, uh, you know, uh, these and these particular uh, units are, you know, have our private settings. So individual units so that folks can have their privacy as well as uh, public, uh, private plumbing. So indoor and private plumbing so that folks can have a quality of life that best serves them so that they can get to the other parts of their life and not have to think about housing. Why is it so important for Black queer folks to have ho uh, housing in community. Yeah, um, so I think that one of the things is that in the in the housing first model that we're using is that once you know, once you're able to obtain housing and not have to worry about that very important thing, you're able to live your life more fully. Right. And I, but the other parts of that also is that we what people ignore is that uh, queer folks, specifically black queer folks, are, are uh, at a young age, the first to be homeless. And that's for a variety of different reasons, whether that be because uh, because you came out and, you're, you know, your family doesn't approve of it or because of the way you want to live your lifestyle or whatever struggles that you're experiencing. So, you know, I know that queer folks know that young folks are what 40 percent of our young folks are homeless. Right. And that's just a known fact in our community. And to be able to say that and those folks don't just turn 18 and find housing. Right. right, right. <laughs> like they're like, oh, here, you know, you turned it. Here's your 18th birthday. Here's a house that does not happen. Right. And so these folks are now becoming homeless adults. Uh, and how do we solve that problem is that becoming more accepting, learning about the struggles and barriers and how to engage with folks to bring them inside. It's time to bring us inside. Okay, and yeah. also, I want to ask, too. How important is it for us to be able to get access to housing in the cap, like in the Seattle area? Yeah. Um, I'd only know of a couple of programs that are available for people, um, but some organizations uh, mm -hmm. may not have enough cultural humility for yeah. it. So. What, how, why is that important for us? Well, one of the things that I think is so important is that there are all these programs, but they're all very, um, you know, prioritizing bodies that are not ours. Right. And there are ways in which folks are rising to the tops of these lists that we aren't aware of because we're not like I feel like often there is a cultural thing. We don't want to ask other people for help. Right. And as specifically in uh, social services and in public health, usually you're sitting across from a middle aged white woman um, about your problems. There is no way on earth that I'm ever going to tell you <laughs> what I'm experiencing because I know you don't get it and I know you don't understand. Right. And so there are ways, there are ways in which we have to learn, um, the, a different avenue. And I think that that's a lot of us is are finding the ways that are not involved with government or institutions and are just figuring it out for ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, we need to support that. Right. Okay? <laughs> so if you guys are online, y'all make sure y'all check out Lavender Rice. <clears throat> Lavender Rice Project and also look into housing because yeah. we still need support. It's under yeah. the housing justice tab okay. on lavenderrightsproject.org. <laughs> <laughs> housing justice tab under lavenderrightsproject.org. Okay. Yeah, yes. Then we're going to take one more break 
And we will be back yeah. with We Live in Color. I love your gas. Thanks, Ebo. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. And we're back. Um, but we are here with Ebo. I'm just so happy. I, I I think this is the most energetic I've been in a while. Yes. You know, thank you. Yes. You make a brother feel relaxed. Oh, my goodness. I love it. <laughs> you should hire me. I'll look, just hang look, out with you all day. Look, we need it. <laughs> so one of the things that we do here um, at Converge, We Live in Color, is we... Do a We Live in Color tribute. Yeah. Is there anyone that has helped you into this space to get you to where you're at today? Oh, my God. There's just so many people that that got me to this space. But I think one of the people that I really want to shout out is, uh, you know, you may know her as a DJ um, but or a musician, but Moni Tepp is just an incredible person uh, that has guided me in different ways, um, is always there when I'm like, let me tell you right? <laughs> About what happened or what this person said. Um, and it's just one of those folks that is just like your, your pillar, your, you know, the person that is grounded in reality and truth and will always give it to you the way you need to be, you need it to be given. Yeah. You better give what needs to be given, okay. Moni Tab. Oh my God. We appreciate her. Yes. I, I have to um, just give a special shout out um, today just for a good friend of mine, Castile Hightower. I love you. Um, I didn't get a chance to give you a call last night, but I love the work that you do. She was previously a guest on here. Oh, and cool. just uh, just continue to walk in your truth. And we love you yes. so much. Um, I don't know who that is. Uh, but you you going to find out. Yeah. She is. She is. 2023 is going to be about. Come on. She, okay. Let's go. Um, but <laughs> in the meantime, yeah. I, I do want to ask you. Yeah. For a poem. A Can poem. you give me one? Do I do poem? No. Yeah. No. I'll do a poem. <laughs> Yeah, I do. You want me okay. to stand? Can I stand up? You, you can. You can stand up. Is this? Is this on? Can we see? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Do I need this? Yeah, you gonna I need do, that. I need this. Okay. Cool. Um, I'm not usually okay. I got this. All right. So I'm gonna do a poem that I often do, uh, and it's inspired by Beyonce because who's not inspired by Beyonce? Uh, but yeah. So I'm gonna do that poem. Um, when I first came out to my mother. Her first reaction was to comment on the volume of my voice when I said transgender, as if being myself in public wasn't already loud. I lowered my voice. Do you reach adulthood when your parents' reactions to your unblossoming start to sound hollow like an empty cage? When you look into a mirror and discover you are the only and ugliest salvation your family ever inherited? Do you reach full-grown adulthood when your reflection rejects you in your second language, the language you kept safe in your back pocket is an exhausted compass that only points towards the ocean. What about respect for my elders means mute myself. Are you still an adult if you just want to go home? I learned that being free isn't what everyone wants, especially if you find custody convenient. And I know that you think my gender makes you angry that your gods did not die for this, but the truth is, my gender binds you to fear, uncovers your discomfort from seeing the rapture of my reach, these bare wrists. What about my freedom scares you? I named myself Ebo to worship the slave rebellion that drowned their captors, rose into the sky, turned into birds, and flew back home. Why would you deny me this worship? Why would you keep this story trapped in a book and don't mistake me for fearless? It's taken me a whole lifetime to get back home, but I'm still willing to come back for you if you want to come. Jaden Smith's skirt. Billy Porter's entire wardrobe. Lizzo's exposed thong. Monroe Bergdorf's middle finger. Zaya Wade. Harriet Tubman. My beard. My pronouns. My lips blossoming on a shoulder blade. We 
are the efflorescence of eternal emancipation. Come with us. Before I leave, tell my mother I've uninstalled the whisper in my authentic. If you don't want to untie the knots of shame, trying to convince you compromises the wind, cradling my wings, so stay in bliss. But ask yourself, are you free? Or are you conditioned to this captivity? Whatever the answer is, please let me live. I just want to go home. Thank you. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you. I, I just want another one. Okay, no, I'm not even going to do that to you. <laughs> the whole catalog. Yes. Evo, thank you. Thank you so much. So much for being a guest on the show. Yeah. Thank you for joining. Once you come on, you convert family. And we oh, appreciate hey. you. I'll be here next week. Yeah, no, right. Listen, <laughs> we want to do a deaf poetry slam let's right here. It. You know, yes. we would yes, love absolutely. to do that with you. Yeah, let's do it. But we appreciate you. Thank you. Um, Please let us know how we can continue to support. Yeah, you can find me on ebobarton.com, okay. my website. I watched it. I looked at it. That's last where night. you can also buy my book. Okay. You can also follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And I don't do Twitter no more because, you know. What's wrong with Twitter? Because of Eli, you know, the whole, yeah, oh, yeah we're not doing that. Um, but at Ebo Barton. So, yeah. Well, I will see you soon. <laughs> and we appreciate you so much. Thank you. Okay? I appreciate you. And thank you, community, for watching another wonderful episode of We Live in Color. Next week, we will have the Empress herself, Lady Chablis, Ooh. right here on We Live in Color. Uh, stay tuned, and I will see y'all next week. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.